All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other. I can promise you that. You might laugh. You might cry. But you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight into those people that you follow, love, and admire. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Jake Dunlap Show. Welcome. I'm very excited. Um, Today's guest, okay, when you look up well-rounded experience in a dictionary, you might see this week's guest. She was born in Peru, spent her childhood in Greece before finding her home in the U.S. in Southern California. Professionally, once she was done studying psychology, she took her talents to the big screen as a film producer. After not feeling her best, her doctor prescribed her tequila. Well, kind of, right? Which later resulted in her starting her own tequila company, 21 Seeds. Grab your salt and lime while we welcome this week's guest, tequila connoisseur, Kat Hauntis. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jake. It's great to be here. And it's Friday, too. So, and I'll be drinking tequila know, later. Right? So, this is all There perfect. you go. I should have grabbed some 21 seeds for this, too. Like, I feel like that was a that was a fail on my part. Like, I should have had a, a nice little tasting here ready for it. So, uh, really excited for the conversation today. I think your story is, uh, I think, going to really be a fun one to tell and to for our listeners to really dive into and get into so um for 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 those of you just tuning in if this is your first show what we focus on is telling the stories the amazing journeys the weird things that happen to us when we're 10 that really help to shape the the people that we become over time and and so i'm really excited for for our conversation today kat um and so let's go back so you're born in peru but spent your early childhood in greece so what how how long were you in peru before you before you all moved um so i was there we were there not too long so my older sister i have three i have two sisters there's three girls so surrounded by women and a very powerful, um, awesome, you know, survival mom. Like she's amazing. Um, so a lot of good female energy always in our house. Um, so we were there. My older sister and I were born in Peru. And then my mom was pregnant when she moved back to Greece. She left my real father and moved back to Greece. And, um, you know, and she had my younger sister, Nicole, who's my co-founder in Greece. So Nicole was born in Greece. And, uh, we were, so we were in Peru, like, uh, I was there for two years. Um, and then my older sister was there for four years. Nicole was born in Greece and we stayed in Greece another three years and we left Greece when I was okay. Five. All right. So pretty early, yeah. um, again, like, you know, before five. So any early memories or things that stand out about, you know, lessons or, um, you know, what it was like, you know, again, cause you know, this isn't like, you know. 2005 or anything, you know, I'm sure Greece was a much different, you know, place than it is today. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it was, you know, we lived in my grandparents' house. So, you know, uh, my mom at the, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, and that's very, you know, that tracks for Greek people, you know, we, mm-hmm. we tend to live in, in clusters and we're very family oriented. And, you know, my mom had, you know, she was, she was a very young mom, uh, which was, you know, that's how it was done back then. And, uh, yeah. you know, having moved back to what was, a, like you said, a small country, um, you know, she moved back there. She was now a single mom with three young kids, three babies, basically three kids under the age of five. And um, it was kind of crazy. And she didn't, you know, she really, I think at that moment, didn't know what she was going to do. And, um, but she didn't like crawl under a rock and hide. She's just like, you know what? I need to make a life for myself and my kids. Yeah. And it wasn't easy being divorced at that time in Greece, right? So it was in the 70s and it was a very small country. And for a mom to ju- a woman to just be on her own with three girls, um, she wasn't really going to have much of a life for herself there. So she decided to, you know, leave, which was really scary, right? She spoke Greek. She spoke yeah. Spanish. She did not speak English. I mean, she had had a little. Oh wow! Training, but um, 
you know, and she was an art student. So she had majored in, in, in art in the couple of years of college that she did do before she got married. Um, you know, so she didn't really have any like business skills per se. Um, and so she, but she decided that she would have a much better, there'd be more opportunities for us as three girls growing up in the States than there would be, uh, back in Greece. So she kind of just packed up and moved. And I mean, I, I, I tried traveling with small kids. I only had two. Yeah. I, I have. Two yeah. Kids. It's like the idea of, you know, moving to a whole new country where you don't know the language. You don't really have, she didn't have a job yet. Um, and she, she had never been to the States. So she didn't know what that was going to be like. It's, it's pretty scary. She'd but... never been, she'd yeah. never been to the States. Did you guys speak Did the kids? Did you speak English? We right. didn't. No, I spoke, I yeah. spoke Greek and Spanish. My older sister spoke, you know, Greek and Spanish. And then our younger sister, Nicole was a baby when we left. She was like, you know, she was two. So yeah. she, she barely spoke Greek and that's what she spoke, you know? So it was really scary, but you know, in, in my mind, um, and I think this is one thing for all three of us girls, you know, we've had different careers and different jobs and different problems that come our way and obstacles. And like our mom has always been an incredible role model for us because, you know, at the onset she did it and she kind of, she, she did like, the yeah. fake it till you make it. Like, you know, you just, you do what you can do. Like, don't worry about it being perfect. Like just do what you can do to get to the next step and then, you know, build on that. So that's, that's really what she did when she first moved to the States. I mean, we had no money. We, you know, she, um, she basically, she, she knew how to sew and she knew how to speak Spanish. So she basically got a job in a sewing factory in downtown LA and Nicole, uh, my older sister and I went to, you know, public school with the daycare that was available at the school. And my younger sister, Nicole, who's my co-founder, um, she was at the daycare of the sewing factory that, you know, that, that, that my mom worked at. And so that was her first job. And that's what made it so that she could, you know, um, at least have a house for us to live in and, 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 and pay the rent. And, and then from there, she went to night school, of course, and learned how to speak English. And, and, um, and I mean, she learned how to speak English, obviously from being in the States too, but like learned business English and moved her way up. She got into the medical industry and then moved her way up and, um, ultimately became a mortgage broker and, you know, moved us to a better neighborhood where we got to go to better schools. And then ultimately, you know, Nicole and I both graduated from UCLA. And, um, so, you know, it all, it all worked out like, but hard work and, and, um, and I think that also sort of dictated the types of careers that we thought we would have because she was always like, you gotta be on a path. You gotta be on a path, you know, as, as an immigrant. And I think I hear this with a lot of my friends who also immigrated to the States. Yeah. Like, are you good at science or, or math? You know, you can be a lawyer or a doctor, you know, cause those are like <laughs> those are paths to being successful in this country, you know? Right. And so my sister, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, and I went into, into the medical industry, which I, I didn't end up going, there you to go. but that's what I studied at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. And what, I mean, was it, what, what do you remember about that? I mean, obviously, cause you were pretty much going, I guess, like almost getting ready to go straight into school. Like, was that adjustment hard? Like, do you remember that? You know, again, I have to imagine like not speaking the language as a you know, little kid, you know, a little kid trying to figure out like and actually learn anything, um, especially, you know, then would have been hard. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. Uh, so when we moved, I was five and it's, it, it's interesting that you asked that question because I actually, I don't remember not knowing how to speak English, you know, um, I got it. Okay. My older sister, she, she remembers it very differently. She, she was seven. So she actually got held back. Um, I got, I went right into preschool, basically like a late preschool, you know, you can start preschool at four or five. Yeah. So I started preschool at five and it was sort of, you know, I don't remember. It's funny because my neighbors, our neighbors, we had these two little girls, Terry and Julie, who are our neighbors. They were so sweet. They brought us over toys. Like when we arrived at our house, there were like toys and all this stuff to greet us, which was super sweet. And they came over right away. They totally remember us not speaking English. Like we would speak to them in Greek and they would just speak to us in English and we just played. And it was, 
that's how that's the beauty of kids like you just kids figured out there's actually i was reading this actually um what book was i reading culture code i think is what it is and they gave a group of kindergartners i think kindergartners and first graders this task of like making this structure with like spaghetti and marshmallows as high as it is and then they did the same thing with lawyers and then the same thing with like mit grads and the and the five the fifth and sixth graders outperformed both groups because of what you just said like they don't really talk they just kind of do and experiment and just totally. try stuff so it's pretty cool. So, so obviously, I mean, like, you know, you get into, like you said, going to UCLA. So what was, you know, high school like, and you know, why UCLA? Yeah. So the, the one thing though, that, you know, was always uh, impressed upon us with my mom, right. Is that you got to work hard. Like she did not, like we had chores, we, you know, you couldn't go out and do anything unless you got all your homework done. You did your chores. Like you, we learned hard work because she also was working hard, right? Like, yes. you know, they say like, you know, monkey see monkey do like kids learn by example. Like we saw my mom, I mean, she would leave the house in the morning, not come back till night. And then she would make a whole dinner for us. She would still cook a whole meal for us. And we'd sit down as family, have dinner. And so we saw how hard she was working. So that was really ingrained in us. You got to like work really, really hard. So, and I knew that, you know, if I went to a good school, that would open up doors for, for me in my life. So as I, I had this goal, I was a good athlete too, which was great, but I had this goal to like really get A's. I wanted to get straight A's and I wanted to get into a good school and I wanted to get, you know, a scholarship if I could and, and really try to set myself up for an easier life than how hard I saw my mom working. Sure. Low, you, you realize later on though that it doesn't get easier. <laughs> you end up working that hard no matter what. Um, but exactly. I, I did study hard. I got straight A's and I was able to, to get into UCLA, which was amazing. And so was my younger sister, which was also amazing. So we lived together in college. Like we've sort of traveled through life together, my younger sister and I. Yeah, wow, that's cool. And what are like what are some of like the big again you talked about, you know, again like the lessons that you watched, you know, from like, that you learned from watching your mom and and watching what she went through and on a daily basis. Like what are some memories you have from college or any any big takeaways? And and why again, uh, why uh, you know, psychology and psycho I don't even know I don't think I know what psychobiology is. Psychobiology. So you can explain I'll let you you can explain <laughs> that to me too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, basically, I wanted to go to medical school. So I needed to, you know, satisfy all of the pre requirements that you needed to satisfy in order to get into medical school. So, um, so rather than it just being just psychology, which doesn't require you to do all like the chemistry, the the um, you know the biology, the physics, right. all of the organic chemistry and all that stuff that you do need to do for medical school. That's so it's like psychology with like the medical background that you would need all those courses to get into medical school. So, but what happened to me when I was at UCLA was I met this great, I met this guy who I ended up dating and his family, so my boyfriend in college, his family was in the entertainment industry. So they were, they were just such a, it was, it was so foreign to me, right? Like in my mind, I didn't even know that you could make, you know, uh, you could make a living off of making movies or telling stories, you know, like this was just a world that had never yeah. been exposed to me at all. And, and it was, certainly was not like a career path that, you know, my mom would be in favor of, you know, she right, of course. Make money on that, you know, and, yeah. um, but it was a really cool family. Um, the the dad uh, is a is a very famous screenwriter even now, like one of the biggest in the industry. Um, you know his his uh, stepmom was an agent. Um, his his grandfather taught at UC Film School. Like they were just immersed in this world, and so and we dated for a yeah. while. So I got to see all of this, and I thought, oh my god. I love this. I love, you know, I love the idea of telling stories. Like, yeah, I, I love this. This is so cool. Like, what are the jobs you can do in this space? And so when I, when I decided to not go to medical school, which was obviously it weighed heavy on me it was a big decision because I knew my mom would be super disappointed. Um, but I just, you know, I love learning about science. I actually really love it. Um, and often, yeah, like when I'm reading about things, I'll like do a deep dive into like, you know, 
how our body metabolizes metabolizes glucose or something and like go deep in that you know i still love that but i right. i wasn't passionate about the idea of just being a doctor so i thought god i gotta figure out something else to do but nothing else was coming along and then i was immersed in this whole world and i thought oh this is what i want to do i want to be in this world so um uh but <laughs> i also but you detour first yeah, you, I did. You before, before. Yeah. And I think this is interesting. So, so just to put it in perspective, because I want to get into kind of your first, your first, you know, job, let's call it, or your first company out of college, because this is, you know, this is like mid nineties and like being an entrepreneur, like now coming out of college, I mean, there's degrees for entrepreneurship, which I also think is kind of silly. Um, but, you know, like being an entrepreneur was not cool. Right. It wasn't like like not very many people like I'm going to start my own company uh, or even do it with a friend. So t I think, yeah, definitely. Let's talk about that first you know, role out of college and, and how that went. Totally. And, and, and Jake, to your point, right, like I was very enamored by this world, but I just didn't see how you I didn't see how I could sell this to my parents, to my mom, really. Like I so um, but. I did need to figure out something else I wanted to do, right? And so what I noticed was there were all, like I was one of these college students looking for apartments. And it was at the time, back in like 93, 1993, um, it, was, it was hard to find an apartment, right? It was very time consuming. They had those like pamphlets that maybe listed, say 20 listings and they'd be all over campus, tons of paper everywhere. And I mean, that's how you found apartments, right? Through those ads. And so I thought, you know, we were at UCLA and UCLA was sort of on the forefront of what was going on in, in tech actually, right? And this boyfriend of mine was actually a computer science major and he, you know, and, and everything that was going on, on the internet um, was kind of happening there at UCLA. And so I thought, huh and by the way this is before google right so uh this was when like yeah exactly google, yahoo was google was powering yahoo services. yeah it's not even like netscape or I anything mean, at that like web crawler yeah and 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 you could go to kinko's and like use the internet at kinko's right and that was a That's big right. deal <laughs> everyone had the internet back then right and so yeah. internet access and so I, you know, I thought with, you know, the, this, these two friends of mine, I thought, God, wouldn't it be cool, big idea, if you could go online and actually see the photos of an apartment and know everything you needed to know about that apartment before you actually even went and saw it. And wouldn't that be great for the listing agent too? Because you could search so many more listings and you could actually put all those photos in versus like in the paper publication, they charged like two, $3,000 for a full page ad where you could actually show some of the rooms. I'm like, imagine we could just charge. I think we came up with some number. We had no idea about like how to write a business plan, how to raise money, how to do any of that. We just thought there's this hole and there's this need to try to find apartments a lot easier than it exists currently. And so I went to Josh and I was like, okay, um, I had had some money that I'd saved up and each of our friends, we all had money we'd saved up. And we're like, okay, we want you to program this site and we're going to call it rentals online. And we, we, he did it. We did it. We, we kind of, I mean, it was very basic. It was like click, click, photo, photo, super basic, but it was, right. you could search it. It was searchable. And, um, and then we went out, we thought, okay, we get this data. Now we got to get, we got to get listing pe people to list their properties on it. Right. And then we have to get college kids to like go and search it. So we thought yeah. we need, we need the listings first. So we went to the listing agents and they were like, well, we're not sure about this internet thing. Like we don't even know if it's going to last. Like we're not, it's a whole new thing. Like we're, we're used to doing the publication. Like we're fine to do it there. Right. Maybe you prove that let's wait a little while. So we were shocked. We were like, how are people not just signing up for this? We're, you can do this for $25 a listing versus thousands of dollars. And you're going to get yeah. a qualified lead, but they just were not buying it. And then they're like, and then not everybody even has the internet. So how are people going to search? And we're like, well, we're going to do this thing with Kinko's. We're going to make a deal with Kinko's where you can go and you can search for free for this, even though we didn't have that deal set up yet. We were just like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's, that's details. You'll figure that out yeah, later. We'll deal with that later. And they were just like, mm, I'm not sure. I don't think it's going to work. So anyway, long story short, we just didn't have enough time. Like we couldn't figure out how to convince these 
you know, listing agents to give us their properties. And then we didn't know how to write a business. Like we didn't know how to write a business plan. You couldn't just go on YouTube and search. Yeah, venture capital money wasn't like overflowing at this point. Exactly. Like it so, is today. Yeah, so we ran out of our, we each put it, we each put our $10,000 in and once the $30,000 ran out, we we're like, shit, now we gotta get a job. Like that, that didn't work, you know? Right. And I was like, to my parents, I'm like, I'm going to make some, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to make all this money. This is such a huge idea. So they had bought into that. And now I was sort of like, okay, now what am I going to do? You know, that didn't work. And I had graduated from college. I'm like, now what am I going to do? And that's when yeah. I, I thought back on like, God, I really wish I could get into the entertainment industry. Like, how do I do that? And that's what I did. Yeah, that's cool. So, so let's talk about, let's talk about your career there, obviously, which was a big part of your life, right? I mean, you have many different roles. I mean, getting started, I, your first, it was your first role at CAA. Yeah. Was that the first, that was the first industry one. role? So yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that experience, you know, of, of you kind of getting your foot in the door. Um, you know, what were some of like the big learnings, I guess, or takeaways from like your first, your early years before the uh, production company? Totally. Um, so yeah, so I started at CAA and this was, you know, this was, CAA was it. It was like the pinnacle of the agencies yeah. in the entertainment industry, right? Ovitz had, Michael Ovitz had started it in his vision of how, you know, you train agents and how you ultimately be, you know, our uber super agents. And um, so, you know, I went to, to the father of my boyfriend in college, right? Who was in this business. And I said to him, listen, I, I want to get into the entertainment industry. I don't really know how or what to do. What do you suggest? And he said, you know, let me introduce you to my agency and see they have a trainee program there and see if you can get into that trainee program. I'll set you up with the interview. So, you know, use my, use this connection, which anybody who is willing to help you, please take their help. <laughs> don't yes. ask you about taking help. So um, I went and I did the interview and it was, it was like the craziest interview because you had to interview with so many people, 10 people for this entry level position, making minimum wage. And there were so many candidates fighting for that, oh, I'm sure. that job. You know, I had the lowest degree, just a, a graduate, I graduated from UCLA. That was the lowest. It was like Harvard oh, wow. lawyers, you know, part, you know, Yale lawyers, like all of these people. And I'm like, God, this is insane. I did not understand the scope of what I was getting into. So anyway, I got into the, the, the training program there, which was, which actually now in retrospect taught me so, so, so much about so many things, just how to function within a hierarchy, you know, um, how to, how to, how to be a woman in a man's world. I was the only woman in the mailroom of the trainees. So the, the mailroom had regular mailroom employees and then the trainees, the trainees were on a different course. Right. And, um, and so all of the, in my tenure there, everyone there was a guy except for me, I was the only girl. So just navigating that. Right. Um, and then sort of also just realizing that, you know, it, you, you got drilled into you. No was not an option period. Like when you're dealing with, you know, the, 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 the A-list stars and the A-list directors and the A-list writers, you know, and A-list agents, it's like they, you can't come to them with no. So yep. that I have carried on with me in everything I've ever done, you know? Um, that's all, that's such a good one. I mean, if you've heard for everyone listening, I feel like that mindset and I, it's interesting. I've never really kind of self-reflected on that, that mindset before, but you know, there's just those types. I feel like that there's just like those types of people in the world, right? There's the people that they just see blockers, right? Or they, they fail from starting. And then, then there's other times where you learn that idea of like, you know what? Like most things are kind of possible depending on how hard you want to work for it. 100%. And, and, if, and when you're going to stop or not stop. And, and I think it's just a, a, a great lesson and call out, like, you know, especially today, I mean, you know, the, again, going back to it, it's like, you know, back then, like, I don't know, it's Google, yeah, Google is probably like, maybe, no, not, not even quite, like now, especially, like, if you've never done anything, it's Google, YouTube, anything you want to know how to do, I, there's like probably 50 YouTube videos on it, you know, like my, my son's 70s in first grade, I tell people, I'm like, I, like, if my kid has to learn the Dewey decimal system versus like how to use Google, like 
the curriculum is messed up. And, and I think so many people just, again, they see blockers, they see walls. And again, like it's such a, a powerful lesson to learn. You're like, wow. And then like accomplishment, you're like, I did do that. So that's, I think it's just such a, a great call out. Oh, totally. And you know, you work so hard and you work such long hours and you get paid, you know, overtime and double overtime. And that's actually how you're able to live off minimum wage. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's changed, you know, since, since I was there, but back then it was like, you were in this together. And I think it's only when you're, you're so, you're so exhausted. And like you said, Jake, it's like when you have to dig so deep to find the answer and to solve the problem, but failure is not an option. Cause if you fa- if you fail, you're out and that's it. That's your one shot at, at, at back then at CA. Well, that was it. It was like all or nothing. So you just solved it. You just dug deep and you yeah. so, um, so yeah, so I ended so, up, you know, moving on, moving out of the mailroom, which was great. Got promoted out of the mailroom onto a desk and, um, and it was in television. And so you couldn't really decide it was basically the trainees were placed based on need. So if you, you know, if you wanted to work with actors and you got on a TV desk, that's just the way it went. And um, anyway, I, I wasn't a big TV person, so I knew nothing about television. And so when I got onto that desk, I was like, oh, this is kind of a bummer. I, I really don't want to be a TV agent. So, so I kind right. of at that point thought, okay, you know, I'm going to just do my job well here, but I'm going to start looking for something else in a different space. And, um, I really liked telling stories, um, you know, like film stories, big movies. And so, um, I was able to move and got a job over at a big management production company. And that was a good transition because, you know, again, that's another thing is like, you know, I went from being an agent and I, I suppose I could have gone right into production cause that's really where I wanted to be. But, um, it was harder to land those jobs without any prior production experience. So I did this sort of interim step. So that's just another thing. It's like, you might not get to where you're going right away, but like, just figure out a path for yourself. So I thought, okay, if I go to still, it's in representation, but managers can produce, I can get some experience there and then ultimately go on to produce. So that's what I did. And I went to um, a company called three arts, which is a big management production company. Um, And there I was working with a literary manager, which was amazing. So I got to work with writers and directors and that was awesome. That's, I really fell in love with like storytelling there. And, um, and from there I had met this gal when I was at CA, she was another assistant and, um, she had met this other woman who had a, like a ton of money. She was a, had made all this money at, by this point, the first sort of tech boom had happened and she made all this money in the tech boom. So, but she also wanted to be in the film industry. So we kind of had this meeting and decided, okay, let's start this production company. I would leave three arts. Let's start this production company. Um, it was going to be myself, Chesley, my producing partner, and this woman, um, who had, you know, had made all this money in the internet and, um, and basically we did that. So I left and we started this company and then when we were ready, you know, to sort of you know, pull down on funds to get the first independent film going. We kept trying to set meetings with her. Um, you know, she kept trying to set meetings with her business manager and she couldn't get him on the phone. She couldn't get him on the phone. And finally one day she just walks in and to the, to, to her house where our offices were. And she just says, it's, it's gone. Like all of it's gone. And we're like, what are you talking about? And she's like, the money, the money, the money's gone. Like, uh, I have, I'm broke. I have nothing. <laughs> we were like, what? Oh happened? my God. I mean, it was crazy. It was so unbelievable. And her business manager was running a big, like a, a scheme, right? Like a pyramid scheme. And she was, you know, at the bottom or at the top, I don't know which direction. Cause I don't understand how those work, but basically yeah, everyone gets screwed. So she got screwed and she had all <laughs> him and you know, she, she lost everything. And so uh, as is often the case when you're a young entrepreneur, which is, I think one of the good things about being a young entrepreneur is you're naive and you think that you're, you know, closer than you are to making it bigger and, or just making yeah. it all. And so we thought, okay, 
you know, she's like, I can't be part of this anymore. We got our, 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 our projects back from her and we just went it went it alone. And so just the two of us went off and, and tried to put our movies together on our own. And, um, and we were able to do that, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll link to, if you haven't seen Taking Five, right, which is a, a very timely at the time around the, the boy band craze of in sync 98 degrees who i'm all fans of um it's a really fun movie because i know and what was that process like because i definitely want to make i want to spend some time you know talking about you know the time off and, and 21 seeds but I, I think it's you know actually getting to see one of the movies through like what was like what are some big memories from that process oh my god um so i mean just chaos so basically i mean putting a movie together is 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 pretty exciting and fun it's it's a very long process in the beginning, right? You have to be committed and, um, you know, things come together, they fall apart, they come together, they fall apart. Uh, but finally we were able to, you know, things sort of started to align perfectly. Um, but this is a good lesson in, you know, just when you think everything's perfect, it yeah. always falls apart. You That's know? right. And by the way, what's that? Is that Murphy's law? Like whatever can go wrong, will go wrong, right? 100%. And great lesson for being a parent. Great lesson. That was like, I learned so much about being a parent, making a movie because, you know, you, you plan everything for that amazing vacation, you know, for that family vacation and you're going to be out in the sun. And the minute you get there, two kids are sick, you know, they're vomiting. Yeah. Like you can't even, it's like <laughs> the temperature drops 40 degrees. Yeah. Hurricane comes in. Like, so I, I just, Take the B's with the G's, right? So what happened on that, That's right. week, which was such a bummer, was that it was not only the time of everything you mentioned about boy bands, but it was also the time of like high school musical, right? And that-, that Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Eight Mile had just come out. So this idea of like, you know, a single being not only on a big album, but on a, on a soundtrack. So. We kind of took all those learnings and what we what we did was with Taking Five is we went to Atlantic Records that had this boy band that had just had a gold album out. Their first album was a gold album. They had just headlined Jingle Ball. It was like they were the next big thing in boy bands, right? And they were called the Click Five. So like an actual, you know, real band played the fake band in our movie. So the band was called the Click Five and they played the band in the movie called Five Alive, right? And All right. Five had this I got to check this out. I'm going to link, I will link in the show notes to uh, some Click Five content. Exactly. So everyone was pumped, right? We had this independent film that was getting financed, um, you know, through foreign sales and whatnot. But anyway, we, and we had Atlantic Records was on board and the new, the first single for their second album was going to be this song, Kidnap My Heart, which they wrote for the movie, okay? And there was like a, a pop version of it and a rock version of it, both of which are in the film. So, and Atlantic Records like pre-bought the soundtrack, which never happens, you know, like for an indie film that doesn't have distribution, but they were so excited about this idea, right? This was perfect. Right. The second album would drop, the movie would come out in theaters, We'd have, you know, it would be a total teeny bopper film with, you know, um, this new single that is going to drop on the album plus the movie. So all this like marketing efforts joined together. So it's going to be like big, big, big. So last day of shooting, right? Last day of shooting, I get a call from the president of Atlantic Records and he says, okay, I have some bad news. <laughs> I'm like, what? He says, so when they the when the real band when the real band finishes shooting this film tonight they are kicking the lead singer out of the band they don't want to be a boy band anymore they want to be a rock band i'm like what yeah great we just shot Wonderful. this entire movie about a boy band this single is a pop single it's not a rock you know like this is not and he's like i know it gets worse they're not giving you the rights to release the songs and they're not going to promote the film. They're not doing anything. 
because they want nothing to do with the lead singer. They don't want anything to do with that old image of themselves. They're going full hardcore rock. And I was like, Yikes. this is a disaster. Like you've just hosed us totally. Like there's not going to be a theatrical release of this movie. We can't market this. We can't sell the single on iTunes. We can't like, he's like, I know there's nothing we can do. So that's what happened. We, they fired him. They brought in this new kid that was like, you know, a rock guy. They, their next album was a rock album. It tanked. Their career was over. And our movie went, you know, straight to television. It was such a bummer. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, again, but that, but you keep in, and like how, how far after that, I guess, you know, then you, you take a little bit of a break, right? Was that kind of like a thing of like, you know, like you're getting ready to have kids and have a family. So, so, you know, talk about that a little bit. So you, you, we walk away from this, right? So you, you walk away for, you know, 10 years before you start 21 seeds. So, you know, what are some of the, I mean, what was some of the thought process behind that? And, and, you know, I know, I know that you weren't just, you know, I, I shouldn't say just, but I know that you weren't just only doing, you know, focusing on the kids. I'm sure you were meddling or testing and doing some other things too. So, you know, what was that decision like? And then, you know, what were some of the, the highlights of that? I mean, obviously getting to spend that time has got to be just absolutely irreplaceable. Um, but what were some other things that I guess were interesting to you? And then what led to, you know, obviously starting a tequila company, which I view as like, like a daunting, like you talk about daunting. It's like, God, starting a spirits company against, you know, InBev and these other like massive, you know, things is, is got to be pretty interesting. So walk us through kind of the 10 years up to the, you know, the, the invention of 21 seeds. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Jake, you're totally right. It is daunting. It is, it is insane to start a, a tequila company because it's not, it's not like whiskey or vodka that you can make in the United States, right? It has to come from yeah. It, in order to be called tequila and so it, it's it it not only you know the spirits industry as a whole is daunting because every state has different spirits laws there's control states where the the, the, the government owns the the booze you know so it's right like from state to state it's different and then on top of that you add importing the spirit right and dealing with the governing body around tequila and doing all of that so it was now I will say producing a movie really helped me with all of that, right? Because when I went into yeah. actually making Taking Five, I had no idea. I mean, there was one day on set where they were like, we don't have film. The film didn't show up. And it's like, what? <laughs> what, what do you mean the film isn't here? Like, so we were like calling all over to try to find other yeah. things that were going on where we could borrow film. And you, again, and that goes back to CAA where no is not an answer. Like we got to find film, you know, and you just go out there and you do it. So all of that, you know, all of these things, you know, when you look at them independently, that pull them out, you might think, how'd you do it? But it's kind of like when you pick up that calculus book in like eighth grade and you're just like, how am I ever going to know how to do this? But you don't have to do calculus till you learn algebra first, then geometry and then trig, and then you get to calculus. So really, if I look back on my whole career, it's like all of these things, you know, from every one of them, just like with all of our stories, right? You're, you're, yeah that you don't actually know about until hindsight but nevertheless um yeah I, I i after taking five um i actually thought i was depressed from the movie falling apart you know like going to direct to television but it turns out i was pregnant so i wasn't depressed i was just early, yeah. early pregnancy when you're just exhausted and all you want to do is sleep i was sleeping so much i'm like i must be depressed from you know the movie and then i thought oh god right 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 um, I'm pregnant and, um, you know, I'm, I, I had gotten married and, you know, and we were trying to start a family. Turns out I, I got pregnant. And, um, and so I was kind of like, this might be a good time to maybe wrap up, you know, on the projects that we had, um, and, and, and maybe take some time off and, and, and think through what the next chapter is, because it's really, it is hard to be, you're gone, right? Like to be on set for three months. Yeah, totally. A, a family. And I really, family was really important to me. You know, I grew up in my grandmother's house. Um, my grandma was always part of our lives. Like I was very close to my parents. My sister, Nicole had moved to New York with me. You know, she didn't live in the same house with me, but she moved, you know, to New York. Um, and, and so I thought I'm going to take time and, really focus on this and, and, and see where, where, what the next step will be for me, you know, a little later on. But during all of that, I was 
I've always been a very curious person, very, very curious. And, you know, I, I'm interested in things and I, I ask a lot of questions and I just want to know about stuff. So if, if, if you're doing something, I want to know like everything about like, how do you produce a podcast? You know, how does that happen? You know, how do you schedule that out? How's that calendar out? Like I would ask you a million questions about it. And I, that's pretty much almost any, any person I encounter, I want to know everything. So I started having those kinds of conversations, right? Um, and it was actually interesting. It's worth noting, my, my Greek mother did move in with us when the babies were born. So, <laughs> so. Oh, uh, well, there you go. And fun, too, for my husband. Yeah, I bet. Not at all Greek and very, you know, uh, just doesn't, he was just like, what? I'm like, yeah, she's going to move in with us and help us raise the babies. And so he was like. Hey, but that's, hey, but you, you trust me. Anybody who's had, you know, kids can say, hey, you take it, you know. Yeah, no, and they actually are great friends. So it, it worked out. But um, had my two kids. My mom lived with us for six years. Um, and it was one big Greek family. Um, but that allowed me to be able to explore things and have longer conversations and know that my kids were, you know, with family, which was really important. Um, and we were very lucky to have her. So, um, but during all of that, I, I, I still had this, like, I knew I would want to do something entrepreneurial again, you know, like start yeah. something with a business. I didn't want to go back to, it's funny because I thought there's no way I could do like a nine to five, like where I'm in an office nine to five type of thing, because I do. Yeah, sure. Especially after like what you've done. And yeah, I could, I could see that. Yes. And so, um, it was during that phase, um, where I met my other co-founder Sarika, cause she was also a mom and she was a Stanford grad in engineering and was in the food industry. And so she and I started talking about, you know, doing some sort of, you know, we, we were busy like preparing meals for kids and I cared a lot about nutrition and I wanted my kids to get, you know, nutritious meals. And so we were talking about like a food delivery service for kids. And that's how she and I met and started initially talking. And we, we quickly sort of played it all out and realized, it, it wasn't going to work. Um, so we kind of moved away from that idea. And so that had happened and then separate, that's how I met Sarika. And then of course, Nicole, my sister, now I was living in San Francisco. So we had moved from New York to San Francisco. That's where I met Sarika. Yeah. Of course, my sister, Nicole, who had moved from uh, UCLA to New York with me had now moved from New York to San Francisco. <laughs> like she truly has been with me my whole life. So That's awesome. She's like, she's already in San Francisco. And while, you know, while all that was happening, I was still at home. Um, I started, I was, I was drinking wine and I was drinking wine, you know, every night, a couple glasses, one while I was making dinner and one with dinner. And, um, I just kind of started feeling tired, sluggish, um, had like some hot flashes, but I was in my early thirties. So it was like, this can't be menopause. I know that's a lot of information, but went to my doctor. <laughs> like, what is going on with me? You know, I, I can't be this, this tired and sluggish. And so he did a bunch of tests. Everything was fine. It wasn't menopause. And, um, and he said, let's look at what you're eating and drinking. He noticed that I was drinking two glasses of wine at night at the end of the night, uh, before I was going to bed. And he said, ah, that's the culprit. He suggested that I move away from fermented spirits. So wine, beer, champagne, anything fermented and over to a distilled spirit. And what he said was, he said, listen, there's a lot of living organic matter in fermented that just goes away when you distill, right? Because when you distill, you take fermented, liquid, right. you boil it, and then the alcohol burns off and becomes a vapor. It goes That's up, right. into the, you know, the column, and then you condense it like rain and rain, it rains down tequila. Like, so that's what happens yep. so during that transition. Anything that was living is now dead. There's no living anything in distilled. So he said, it's just a cleaner way to drink. So try that and see if that does it. So mm. I thought, okay, very aggressive. You know, I thought super aggressive for a Tuesday night to be pouring. Yeah. Like I'm, like, I'm switching over to my nightly tequila, yeah. right. As opposed to like a glass of wine. It sounds aggressive, it's but obviously. Aggressive. Yeah. And by the way, I had kind of had a little bit of like PTSD from college with tequila. You know, I was not a tequila drinker unless I was having it say yeah. margarita or something. And so I thought, God, this is like, A, I'm a mom. This is a lot of work. Like I'm going to have to do a lot to this tequila to make it drinkable. And right. 
to make it like less harsh. I mean, I don't care, you know, for me, it didn't matter if I was, it didn't matter the type of tequila I was buying. I wasn't, you know, I was buying nice tequila. It didn't matter. It was harsh. You have to do, right. me, I had to do something to it to drink it every night. And so I thought I got to do, I have to, there has to be something I can do to this. And I like, I really love to cook. And I remember back in, in college too, sometimes I would infuse vodka. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to infuse tequila and see what happens. So I took the Blanco tequila. I just put a bunch of stuff in it, let it sit for a while, kept tasting it. Like I was doing it in my Brita. I had this like Brita water pitcher. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I saw that you created your first batch in a Brita, which is fantastic. Totally. totally. And so I just stick my finger in it every day and taste it. I'm like, mm, no, it needs to go longer, longer. And then it, it, at some point it tasted great. It was amazing. And it, it wasn't harsh anymore. It had smoothed out totally. It wasn't sweet either, which is an important point because I feel like most flavored spirits on the market tend to be, yeah. sweet. you know, have this weird aftertaste like you're sucking on a nickel and kind of smell like totally juice. like almost like that fake sugary type. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so this was not that at all. And I thought, man, this is amazing. Now I can drink this and you know, took all the fruit out and just left it in the Brita, you know, in my, in my fridge, which caused a real problem for one of my girlfriends once who came home from a run thinking that was cold water with water. But, um, anyway, and I just drank that for, for, I would drink that. I'd actually put it in a wine glass cause I love holding a wine glass and, um, yeah. All right. That's with some club soda and ice. And that's, that's how 21 seeds tequila was born That's it cool. in my house. And I drank it for years and years. And over the course of those years, I noticed again, just kind of observing my, my immediate circle. So many of my girlfriends were switching from wine and champagne in particular to tequila. And they were either asking me to make them bottles of my infused tequila. Cause they're like, this is tastes way better than regular. Yeah. Tequila. Or if we were out, you know, this was before 21 Seeds was on the market, you know, they would order tequila, club soda, three oranges, three slices of orange, three slices of grapefruit, you know, like enough to squeeze it in there, but not too Yeah, much. and get and the flavor. Yeah. So I thought, man, there's like, there's nothing like this in the tequila aisle. Like why, you know, there's a million flavored vodkas. A million vodkas, a million vodkas. You know, and why are there no, you know, actually good infused tequilas? There were some right. tequilas on the market, but nobody was really, I, you know, I had never even really heard of them yet. And so we decided, you know, I went to my sister. I knew this was exciting and I thought there was an opportunity to, to do this. So I went to my sister who at the time, you know, was a very successful CFO and had been, you know, had was the CFO of Refinery29 and had moved on. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, so, and I said, what do you think about this idea, sister? And she was like, this is a no brainer. I've seen everyone drink your tequila. They drink it like it's wine. I mean, they, that's how fast they drink it and it's delicious and smooth. I'm in. And then I thought, you know, who has food experience? You know, Sarika has food experience and, and knows how to bring products, you know, to retail from, you know, from the, from, from concept to, to retail. So I went to her and I said, you know, I know. I know that other idea wasn't a good idea. What do you think about this idea? And she's like, I love your tequila. Yes, let's do it. And the three of us decided to start 21 Seeds Tequila on that day. I love it. We all went to lunch, had the conversation, and off we went. I love, I love how like, but with Sarka, you, with this idea, you're like, well, this will be easier than that other one. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, like launching a kid's delivery. I'm like, that sounds really daunting. I'm like, and then I think about this. I'm like, now this sounds like a lot, a lot, right, to go from that. And so, you know, talk, let's talk about it as we start to, unfortunately, you know, I know, I know we got to wrap here in a little bit, but, you know, as you kind of, two, two questions here. One, like, you know, what have you, what, I guess, like, what are some of your big kind of business to family, you know, takeaways from, you know, the, these like first few years of really getting this off the ground, seeing early success? Like, you know, what are some of the big takeaways or learnings that you've had that, you know, obviously you've had all these, I wrote down, I sent that our uh, Tyler, shout out to Tyler, my podcast director. I said, the title of the episode is like, no is not an option. I mean, that's obviously that was it, right? So you've learned all these amazing lessons. Like what have you learned from starting the company now? And, and what are you, you know, most excited about for, for the next adventure? Yeah. Uh, well, no is not an option is a, is a, is a good, is, is great because, um, you know, when we, 
So we first, we didn't know anything about spirits, right? Like nothing, nothing. So the first thing we did was we hired a booze attorney, which is the best place to start. When you know nothing about an industry, hire an attorney to just teach you a lot, right? They can guide you and all of that kind of stuff, even if it's just like, uh, you know, an hour of their time or two hours of their time. And then we went on this rampage of just ask anyone who would talk to us, anyone who had a slight connection to the spirits industry in any way, shape or form, we would just say, can we meet with that person? Can we meet that person? And by the way, that is a very, one thing I want to say about that is when you're asking someone for help, right? You're the one that needs the help. Don't just assume that they're going to help you, right? They have a million right. things to do. A million, <laughs> right. a million things they, they have to do. The last thing they want to do is help you. So make it easy for them. You know, like send an email that's easy to forward. Key up the email they can forward. Exactly. Make it simple, stupid. Like, and then just keep calling and don't ever get aggressive and try to use humor as much as you can. Because if you're making people laugh, then that goes a long way. So anyway, once we, we, we were able to get enough information together to figure out what we needed to do, we, we finally figured out, okay, we're, we're ready to go. And at this point, um, you know, we had also managed to get ourselves a meeting at BevMo, not through the normal channels, like through, you know, this person knew this person who knew this person who saved yeah. this person's life and owed them a favor, like that kind of thing. It was crazy. Right. <laughs> so we... We get into BevMo and we're able to pitch the 21 seeds. We live in California, right? That's where we launched. And we, you know, had found this incredible distillery partner down in Mexico, also owned by a woman, predominantly staffed by women. And she was totally, once she tasted what we were making, she's like, I'm in. Even though there was nothing at the distillery that would allow us to, you know, infuse at scale, to actually be able to infuse at scale. Right. We needed a lot of stuff, including like refrigeration. I remember we were in this meeting down in Mexico before we went in to meet with with Celia and Jose. And I said to Sarka, I said, okay, let me get this straight. If she doesn't let us build refrigeration on site, we can't do this. And she's like, and Sarka's like, yes, we can't do this. I'm like, so you need to walk it like a massive walk. Like we got to build refrigeration. She's like, yes. And I said, okay. I, okay, I know what we need to ask for now. And it was like, why would she let us do that? You know, she we haven't paid her anything yet. You know, like, right. she let us build anything on her property, you know? And you just go in there and you just, you keep talking until you get a yes. And even if, it, if it's not the yes you're looking for, just get them to say yes to something. And then back into the other stuff you need to ask about. <laughs> I love that lesson. Totally. That's such a good one. Make it, in, yeah, make the first ask an easy one. Easy you know, one. make it an easy yes. Is that blue in the background, Jake, that I see there? And yeah. Yeah, that's blue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. So anything, just get them to say yes. <laughs> I love that. It's actually a very successful sales technique. There's a guy named Brian Tracy, and he talks a lot about that. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't even have to Google that one. That just, we just thought of that. But there so, you go. Anyway, so I love it. So we have, so long story short, we get this initial order from BevMo. BevMo decides, which is unheard of. They're going to take us. We, we literally aren't sold anywhere. They're going to take this new brand, all three SKUs, right? Our, our 21 seeds tequila comes in three infusions, Valencia orange, grapefruit, hibiscus, cucumber, jalapeno. If we were told, if you get one skew in some stores, you're lucky. Yeah, that's a great start. Yeah. Great start. So we're down in Mexico and we get an order from BevMo. And, you know, when they order, they do these resets and you have like, you have to have all the inventory stateside landed in a warehouse so that they can pick it up and like blah, blah, blah. And it all happens very quickly from that point, from the time you get the PO. So we get this, we're down in Mexico and we're going to do our first run. And at this point, we don't even, we had met with BevMo and they said, yeah, we think we might take one SKU or something in a few stores. We're looking at the, at the PO and it literally, it says it's all three SKUs, all 146 stores. They want to bring it in to the whole thing. And we're like, are we reading this right? Like, is this really right? And we're thinking maybe what they're saying is they're approving them. Like they, they <laughs> right, right. exist. And that's not what, that's what this paper is. And we, we send it to our lawyer. We're like, what does this mean? And she says, that means you have a PO that you need to, you know, put all those cases in all those stores, you know, and you need to get it there in the next two months. And at this point we haven't actually done the first run. 
And so they right. buy our entire first run. We don't even know because at this point, yeah. at this point, we've only been doing it in smaller batches. So we don't even right. know if we can actually pull it off. And literally, we try to do it, right? We, 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 we're there. We're reading this. We're like jumping up and down. We're so excited. But then it like falls on us. We're like, oh, my God, we got to actually deliver this now. So we go to the distillery, right? And we're, we're there. We're, we're at the distillery. We're helping them do all this stuff. We think that this is how it's going to work. Like, this is how we're going to do it. And we go to do it. And it just, we leave to go shoot the photos for the website, which we don't even have yet. And when we leave for 15 minutes, we get a call from the distillery. They're like, the whole thing blew up. It's not working. Like, everything that you guys have said on how to do this is it's not working. And so we were like, so we come back and we're like, what is it? Like, how can, so what are all the different ways that we can infuse? And at one point I looked at Tarka and I was like, do, tell me what you need. Like, you tell me what you need to get this done and I yeah. will get it done. And I look at her, I'm like, do you need a centrifuge? If you need a massive centrifuge, I will, find <laughs> you. I will figure out how to get yeah, it here. Exactly. I'm like, whatever you need, I will find it and I will get it done. You tell me what you need. And she was just like, no. Like we don't need a centrifuge cat. Stop it. Like enough. And anyway, we all like full hands on deck and we figured it out and we solved it. But like we did get it done. Like we worked all night, all day that day and all night just trying different things. And we figured it out and we solved it. And it was like, it was amazing. But you just, that's you so great. Bed, you weren't leaving. Like we were going to deliver these cases no matter what. And we did it. And cut to now. I love that. And I love that. Flavored spirit in the number one flavored tequila in the country. And we're, we're almost three years old. Oh, that is so awesome. And and I mean, we were talking, this is quick. It's like just a few years, yeah. you know, from like, you know, from that. I mean, it's, it's such an awesome story. And I, I really, you know, I just, you know, the whole story, I think in general, just like your, your mindset and, and attitude about, you know, how you approach things. And I think, you know, one of the things that with, with this, you know, that it's just the idea that so many people wait to where they have everything figured out and they've got the plan. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you think about, you know, it's like, well, I've got to make sure that we've got everything perfect to set it up before I go talk to BevMo. And I've got it, you know, people, people spend so much time thinking and planning for problems that don't exist yet. And as opposed to just doing right. And what you did, you had a label, you had tequila, like, cool, we can go have conversations with people, you know, and I think for anybody listening, you know, don't let, what is it? uh, Perfect. Be the enemy of speed. Right. I think something to to that effect. Perfection is the enemy of progress progress there you go so i tell you what i love this this was a lot of fun for me like i think your story in particular i think i think people will have a lot of amazing takeaways and maybe even maybe even you know take a look inside as well too you know and to say hey you know uh are there limiting beliefs or things that are are holding me back because i mean what i've loved about you know kind of getting to know you and and walking through this is just there's so many of this different options and you know kind of waiting for the right thing but it's the skills and the things that you acquire and you know so many again i i see this all the time it's you know life truly is about the journey and whether you fail at something or learn from something so many people want to try to be perfect and never fail right so they don't take action, or they don't move forward, or they don't try anything, not realizing that it's the failures that will get you to whatever, you know, the path is, and to be the number one infused tequila company in the US, which is pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. No, it's been a, it's been a wild, wild ride. And, and by the way, way more work than nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. And isn't that, yeah, that's exactly it. I remember I started my company nine years ago. And so, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Anybody who thinks that that's what it is, like, you know what I always want, I'm always curious about, where are those mailbox money people? You know, I hear all this stuff about mailbox money, you know, like, how does that work? Because <laughs> any successful entrepreneur I know, uh, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And you got to have a support system at home for sure. If you're going back and you totally. take something like this on, I mean, my husband's been amazing. He has really just, you know, he, it, it's, it's been a whirlwind and he's just been, working. I love it. You have to have that. Otherwise, I love it. Shout yeah. out to your husband. Shout out to my wife. Same thing. Whenever I started my company, it's without that, it's, it's so, it makes, 
it makes it nearly impossible, especially with kids, right? That oh, it's just, yeah. you have to have that, that, that support, uh, that support. So, so Kat, look, I really enjoyed this. I think our listeners really are going to have a ton, ton, ton of takeaways. Uh, and I just want to say a big thank you for joining me. Uh, like I said, I truly, truly, truly had a good time. Yeah, this was amazing, Jake. Yeah, and it's Friday, so let's all go get our 21 Seeds tequila and some club soda and make a perfect spritz and roll into the weekend. I love it. I love it. Everyone, do that. We will link to all of this. We'll even link to some ingredient or some some different recipes that oh, you yeah. can make as well, too. So we'll, we'll hook it up. So again, Kat, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see everyone next week on the Jake Dunlap Show. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting, so I hope you did, too, of the Jake Dunlap Show. Uh, Really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are, the success, the trials and errors. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedunlap.com. That's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests, additional details, prep notes. We're going to be sharing everything on jakedunlap.com. So go ahead, go over there. You can subscribe there as well too. And we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show.